Hello, everybody. All right. Good morning. So we are in our second to last week. Uh, next week, Carrie's preaching. Excited about that. Um, so uh, it's been uh, it's been a week. It's been a it's been a summer. There's been a lot going on, and uh, again, I'm I'm always grateful to have a chance to preach the word here. So. Um, Love you guys. Uh, I've got a sermon for us that I think will be, you know, instructive in a lot of ways, challenging in some other ways. Um, but I wanted to start uh, and say we're going to be in Luke 19. If you want to turn to Luke 19, we're going to read a, a small portion of scripture there. Um, we're going to talk about courage today. We're going to talk about courage. OK, and so uh, let's say a prayer together and then we'll get into the word of God. Father, thank you for waking us up today. Thank you for giving us life today. Uh, Thanks for the opportunity to come here and uh, worship you alongside other people today. Um, We're we're thankful for just all the freedoms that we get to experience and uh, all the purpose that we have in Christ. And uh, God, thank you for the worship team today and the way they led us in song to lift our voices to you and to encourage one another. We're so grateful uh, God, we pray that as we look at the scriptures today that you're honored and that we look at Jesus as the ultimate example. Um, we really want to lift him high. Uh, we believe that when he's lifted high, people will be drawn to him, and uh, that includes us here, God. We want to be drawn nearer to you, nearer to your heart, and we want to look at Jesus' life and his actions so that we will have in our mind a very clear uh, compass and uh, Ability to navigate our own lives, Father. Please help us. We need you. We need your guidance, especially as we talk today about courage. Um, Father, we, we need you. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, it's, it's been a, a particularly difficult week uh, for me. Uh, a lot of things going on, a lot of things swirling, a lot of conversations going on that are like, Overwhelming. I feel a little disoriented in life uh, right now. And it seems funny to me that the passage that has turned up for me to speak on uh, really deals with courage. I think I'm, I'm in a spot where there's quite a few things that I, I need to decide to have courage about. And so uh, we're going to be leaving town tomorrow morning. We're going to go spend some time with the Canadian disciples. Uh, the campus ministry is getting together out in Western Canada. And so if you remember me, uh, remember us, pray for us uh, that we could have a good time with them and that we could be impactful to them. Uh, as we try to help them be inspired about what God can do in, in their side of, in their neck of the woods, right? But like I said, we're going to be in Luke 19. If you want to go to that slide, uh, I am excited to read here. It says Luke 19 in verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, talking about Jesus, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls, They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, 
He said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teacher of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. All right, so we're reading a story here. We're diving right into the thick of a story. And essentially what's going on is this is Jesus showing up in Jerusalem to fulfill what I'm going to call his death march. And it's a roller coaster of emotion. Just in these few verses here, there's, there's deep care on Jesus' heart as he weeps for the city of God. He looks out and he's overwhelmed to the point where he, he weeps. And there's this longing on his heart for this day of peace to be experienced within the city of God. But he knows that what is coming to them in their immediate future is far from peaceful. He knows that because of the state of the hearts of the people and the will of the leaders who are leading the people, that there's a time coming when war will be waged upon this beautiful city of the great king. And the people of God will be trapped, and it says that they will be dashed to the ground. It says the children, too. And they will destroy all the buildings, including the great temple of God. And Jesus says it's because they didn't recognize the coming of God. They didn't recognize the way of Jesus as something familiar. They didn't adopt his ways and they didn't follow in his footsteps. And now the very thing that they had feared for generations, the very thing that God promised them that they would overcome if they followed him, is becoming a reality that they will face with fear and trembling because they've not followed him. And Jesus, with all this on his mind, he shows up to Jerusalem and says, you're going to face death and destruction, and it's going to overcome you. That is an uncomfortable situation to be in. For Jesus... To have to say those things is uncomfortable. For Jesus to look out on this city and to see that as the reality, it's uncomfortable. That's not what Jesus wants the reality to be. That's not the message that he wants to be preaching to people. And so he knows that this is not a popular message that's coming out of his mouth. And so again, in verse 47, you see it says, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. None of that is news to Jesus. Right? He wasn't surprised to find out that this is how they felt about him. We're going to take ourselves to a little bit of a journey. We're going to scope out from this story and come back to it. But we're going to scope out and see that the Gospels show us that Jesus had insight into all of this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, each of them include three predictions from Jesus about his own death. Here's the first one we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, verse 21, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day, 
be raised to life. He tells the disciples this right after Jesus declare, or Peter declares Jesus to be the Messiah. And it says here that when Peter hears this in the verses that follow, Peter can't stomach what Jesus said to him. And this is where the famous interaction comes in where Peter says, this will never happen to you, what you just said here, what's still on the screen here. And Peter, or Jesus looks Peter in the eye, and he calls him Satan and says, get behind me. You're a stumbling block to me, right? Jesus is well aware. This is my destiny. This is where I'm headed. And I want you guys to know too. The next time, the second prediction in Matthew 17, just the next chapter in verse 22, it says this. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. And so again, he tells them, I know it's been exciting, guys. I know I've empowered you to drive out demons, and even the demons are submitting to you. You're seeing miracles. People are submitting themselves to the way of God. We're baptizing folks. Incredible things are happening. But I'm telling you where this is all headed is somewhere ugly. I'm going to be delivered into the hands of people who will kill me. And as the disciples heard that news, they were filled with grief is what it says. And then the third time here in Matthew chapter 20, in verse 17, it says here, Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day... He will be raised to life. And so he says it once. He says it twice. He says it a third time. And we find out in the first one that Peter's not having any of it. The second time we find out the disciples are full of grief. The third time they have no response. Maybe they're accepting the reality. Maybe they're waiting to see what the analogy is because maybe Jesus has something in his pocket. But Jesus knew that he would meet his death in Jerusalem. And he knew that everything that he was doing, in all of it, he was essentially journeying willfully toward that death. How do you think Jesus did it? Knowing that healing this person on the Sabbath, touching this unclean person, and inviting all the ridicule from the religious leaders, and from all the people, spending time with undesirables, challenging Pharisees, all of it, any of it. How, how do you think he did it, especially knowing where it was going to lead him? You know, we see Jesus. We've been looking at him closely all year in these sermons and in these midweeks. And we see him just zoned in, like laser focused is one thing I hope we're getting as we see Jesus in action through this sermon series. He was focused. And he zoned in on walking faithfully, purposefully with the Father. He zoned in on 
loving and training and equipping and living with his disciples. He's focused, hyper-focused on that. He's focused on treating people with deep care and compassion in everything that he does. He's focused on helping with needs beyond what anyone would expect. He's focused on standing up against the wolves among the people. He's focused on rebuking those in power, standing against them firmly and continuing to stand in defiance despite their known intentions to trap and kill him. Jesus woke up every single day and chose courage. Sometimes I think we talk a bit loosely, like flippantly about death and resurrection. Do you believe that Jesus has overcome death? We're going to say yes, amen, and amen. We sang a few songs about it. We got one more coming that we love that's all about it. Do you believe that he reversed the curse of the fall? Like, amen, yes, we do. Do you believe that death will not be our end? Well, if you're a disciple of Jesus, that's what you believe. I hope that everyone here will come to be on the same page wherever you are on the journey and that we would experience the same freedom as a result of believing those three things. But I think it goes way deeper than just having these beliefs. I want to look at a principle found in the Old Testament here over in Jeremiah chapter 12. There's a principle here in the scriptures in Jeremiah chapter 12 and essentially Jeremiah is discussing with God and he's bringing up these issues that he has with how the people are responding to the message that he's preaching from God. He's not fired up. He's not happy about it. He doesn't like how they're responding to him and he's complaining quite a bit. And so in verse 5, we're going to read 5 and 6, this is how God responds to his complaints about what the people are, are saying to him and about him. God says to Jeremiah, if you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? We won't read verse 6. I was mistaken. If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? I've always, I've read this and wondered like, well, when am I going to be competing with horses? Like Carl Lewis ran against the horse back in the day, but I'm not him, right? Like, what does this even, what does this mean? And then it, again, it comes and it says, if you stumble in safe country, how are you going to manage in the more dangerous spaces? All right, don't get lost in the sauce of the, the analogy. It might be a weird analogy and that's fine, Right? Uh, you can go to the next slide. If you, if you try to understand the, the principle here, it's this. If you don't handle smaller things well, how will you handle the even bigger things that are ahead? This is what this passage, this principle that God is trying to drive into Jeremiah's mind. You know, in the context of courage, what we see with Jesus is that death was always on the horizon. The biggest bad of all was coming into the ring with Jesus. And so Jesus, in everything he did, he flexed the, the courage muscle. He flexed the faith muscle, and he grew to be strong enough 
to face death. You know, we love that. What I want to bring to us today is we have confidence that Christ will raise us in the last day. God has done his part. We can have assurance. You don't have to walk around worrying. Okay? Your salvation depends more on God than it does on you. Okay? That's biblical. That's what the Bible says. Okay? We know that death is coming. We will all face mortality. There's a pathway for us to walk in imitation of Jesus in this area, right? When that day comes, whether it's swift and we don't see it coming or we're able to prepare for it, the question that I have is, will you be able to face death with courage like Jesus? You can put the the question on the slide for them to see. Don't get... Don't get Jesus' tears twisted, right? We see him crying when he shows up to Jerusalem. He's like, oh, man. Don't get it twisted. He's not, it's not self-pity. He's not like, oh, man, the moment's finally here, and I'm just not ready to go. Like, that's not what's happening. He's weeping about the stubbornness of the people. He's weeping about the destiny of Jerusalem and its people. We can say yes or no to this question, but you don't need to answer it aloud. You don't need to just say yes firmly. Say it with conviction. That's not what I'm asking for or looking for here today. Saying it confidently isn't going to magically will it to reality. The evidence of how you will face death is found in how you face the fear-inducing things of your everyday life. We talk about death like it's not scary because we're Christians. It is scary. We don't mourn it the way that others do. But the finality? Stop lying and saying you're not afraid of it. Jesus was overwhelmed to the point where his stress was causing his sweat glands to burst. You had a headache from being stressed? This is like the next level. He was in the garden begging God for another way begging the Father for another way, begging for the courage to choose God's will over his own. Don't misread the scriptures. He wasn't on the cross laughing. He was agonizing. Death is not a joke. If you think that you're going to face death confidently and strongly, but you can't face your own shortcomings or your failures or your character flaws strongly, you are deceived. The evidence is in how you engage with the difficult aspects of, say, the relationships you have. You have difficult parts of the relationships that you're in? Well, let's see your courage, and that'll give me an insight as to how you'll face death. Are you hiding? From the difficult things? Are you resigning from the difficult things? Are you just quitting on the difficult things? That's not faith. That is not courage, and it looks nothing like Jesus. The evidence of how you'll act on that day is in your disposition toward evangelism. Evangelism is scary. 
I think some of us, we would say we like it. But even still, when we go out to do it, sweating, stuttering, quaking in my boots like I never talked to an 18-year-old before. (laughs) It's not easy. But if you don't have the courage to overcome the fear of what some person is going to think about you because you believe in the gospel, then what makes you think you have the courage to face death? It's about the evidence is, is all about if you speak spiritual truths in love or, or instead if you maybe passively or apathetically or fearfully avoid saying what needs to be said. Right? There's, there's parallel evidences. What I'm saying is Jesus went through his life and he showed courage after courage after courage after courage. And what that did was build the baseline for him that when he faced the ultimate fear, he was in practice. And he knew how to exert that same courage in that moment. That's the pathway that we are all on. And we have to walk it like Jesus. The evidence is in if you exercise the courage to be vulnerable about where you are in life. And express how you're actually doing. We can't be deceived into thinking that we'll face death with courage just because we come to a Christian gathering once or twice a week. That's just not how it works. It doesn't take a lot of courage to be here, actually. This is the very, like, this is the safest place you could be. Mugs are going to hug you and invite you over and try to feed you or maybe get fed by you. Right? They're going to make exercising your Christianity easy. Right? It's about what goes on outside of this space, guys. Like, let's not get it. This is not, this is not it. <laughs> this is cool. I love being here. But this is not where we exercise our faith. Hopefully, this is where we come and get some encouragement in our faith. But the, the, the question that I'm asking again is, how will you face death with courage if you can't face the fearful things of life on a daily basis with courage? I've got two scriptures here to close us out, two examples that I find here. Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse 20 and 21. It's, it's interesting. Paul's in jail. He's there. And, and, you know, Paul, sometimes we find him funny because it's like, are you in touch with reality? And we see that he's just someone who was along the path of courage. He's someone who was along the path of deep faith. And you see that in statements like this. Philippians 1, 20. It says this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. I'm going to read verse 21 in a second here, but Paul's in jail not knowing if he's going to get out, not knowing if he'll be executed. He's just living with death on the horizon, similar to his Lord. And he says, look, I eagerly expect and I hope that I'm not going to be ashamed, right? Whether I die or I live, I'm not going to find shame, which is very interesting. <laughs> I would think that if you died, it'd be like, oh, man, that's a shame, you know? But if I live, then, yeah, God is good, you know? But he's saying either way, I'm here, I'm in, I'm in these shackles for the gospel. And then he says, I think Carrie even quoted it earlier, it says in verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That screams courage. 
Courage is not a man's thing. Men and women need to show courage if they are of Jesus. I want to call us to be a courageous community. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Last verse I have here. Again, Paul, the same Paul we just read about, looking to give inspiration and encouragement to his son in the faith. In verse 7 he says, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Look, God is working in us to instill the courage within us to ultimately face death. That's the, that's, that's the goal, is that we can stare death in its face confidently. We might not be there today, but God's plan for you is for you to grapple with life faithfully that when that day comes, you will be prepared. Yes. It's not going to happen on accident. You have to embrace the training on a daily basis if you're going to be courageous. He wants us to be able to courageously face death, which means he's also instilling in us the courage to face our daily fears. Take a list for yourself. Make a mental note. Write it down. I don't know. Make a, make a note on your iPhone. What, what things do you need to apply courage to? I don't speak languages, but I do know that the root of the word courage comes from French, and it's the word heart. So when you say to encourage, you're telling someone to, you're, you're, you're giving them heart. It's be strong, take heart. Right? What encouragement do you need to face your fears? Don't need to boast about it. In Jesus' three-year ministry, we hear him tell the disciples three times, I think more for their sake than, than for his own. He wasn't trying to say, look at me, I'm the man, I'm going to die and I'm going to raise from the death. He was trying to prepare them. We don't need to boast about it, but in what ways do you need to show courage in your life? Being part of this community means that you're here, I want to define this, to give and gain courage to and from the other people here. That's one of the things we have to understand. We're here to give each other courage, and we're here to gain courage from one another. It means you're here to learn courage. Life is not easy. The things that we encounter, even when you get a blessing, you got to realize that that invites more things for you to have to handle. And those blessings can end up being some of the most challenging things in your life. We need courage. In Jesus, we see this embodied. He was, he was resolute on his way to Jerusalem, back to the initial passage, and on his way to his death, he was filled with compassion to the point of tears because of their destiny, and still he had the courage to march on. Then that passage says that they wanted to kill him, and the thing right before that was, it's because he, he cleared the temple courts and preached every day, knowing that they wanted to kill him. It didn't stop him. He looked them in the face and said, I know, I see you. I'm going to live with courage. There's a deep sense of trust, I think, in Jesus' life. There's a deep sense of security that he exudes. And I think his example implores us all to do the same. So let us, too, like Jesus, be resolute on the way to our death. Short time or long, with tear-filled eyes as we look around the world around us and 
see the difficult situations with courage in our hearts, intent on deepening our trust in God and let it be evidenced by how we face our fears daily. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for, uh, again, Jesus' example. And as we turn our attention to the, the cross and the bread and the juice, uh, the sacrifice of Jesus, the, the pouring out of his blood and the, the, the tearing of his body, uh, we want to acknowledge that that was not easy. Uh, it was a fearful thing, the cross. And yet Jesus exuded courage uh, to honor you and to execute your plan and to invite us all in to have a great standing with you. Father, our, our faith and our freedom is built on the back of courage shown by Jesus and shown by his apostles and by any who have carried the gospel in the years since to this time. And uh, we want to today thank you uh, for the courage that you instill through your spirit into your people. And we pray that you would flame, fan into flame that, that spirit within us, that it would evidence itself in a, in a deep courage among these people. This people right here in Merritt School of Music Auditorium, God, let us be a people who are full of the fire of courage. Let us do what is right. Let us stand up for what needs to be stood up for. Let us enter any arena where there's falsehood and lies reigning that are setting itself up against you, God. Let us enter those, arena with, with those arenas with deep, deep courage, uh, inspired by what we see Jesus doing on the cross, showing that very same courage, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.